we've been talking about the fact that we all need friends. Do you need a friend? I need a friend. I need not just one friend. I need friends, plural. God's created us needing relationship. We've seen that the last couple of weeks. And we, we saw last week that relationships, even the best of relationships, too, are pretty messy. That, uh, you know, we can, we can err towards being way too independent and pushing everybody away or way too codependent. And we rely on, we think everybody else is, is going to somehow fix us. But God's designed us for interdependence where we, we depend on one another in a, in a healthy way. And today we're going to look at what that looks like, kind of the how to be a healthy friend, how to live out Christian friendship. And before we do, I want to pray. And then we're going we're gonna to dive in together. So let me pray, and then we're going to look at this, this truth today. you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for, for your grace, for your goodness, for uh, even as we sang this morning, your friendship with us, because that's really what enables us to be friends uh, with one another and to others. So, Lord, um, this morning, would you teach me even as I teach, and would you uh, let us leave change to be more like Jesus? Help us to love one another like you've called us to. Pray against the enemy and the ways that he would discourage or uh, isolate us. But instead, Holy Spirit, would you work in power in our hearts today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're wondering how to be a friend, you know the Bible has a lot to say about that. What a good friend, what someone who really loves someone else looks like. All throughout the New Testament, maybe you've heard of these, they're called, uh, sometimes they're referred to as the one and others. You ever heard of that? The one and others of the New Testament. Because all over the place in the New Testament, we read about these uh, one and others of how we ought to treat one another or each other. That's why they're called the one and others. In fact, in your uh, message notes this morning, you'll note uh, there's a section there where starting next week again, there'll be uh, questions for your life group. But uh, during kind of the sign-up period, it's just been some food for thought. And I took some time to list out some of the one and others for you. Just a few. Just filled the whole page. I wonder, do you, you want to look at a couple of these with me? I'm going to preach through all of these today. You okay with that? You think I'm joking. No, I am. But we are going to talk about them. And uh, look at some of these, though. Love one another. Have equal concern for each other. Don't provoke or envy one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, in a way that lifts up who Jesus is. Show affection for each other. Uh, Stop passing judgment on one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens. Uh, Galatians 6, 2 talks about bearing one another's burdens. Now that's uh, burdens. That word there is like these extra heavy loads on top of the regular load that everyone has to carry. That comes later in Ephesians chapter 6. But to bear one another's burdens. To not only bear their burdens, but to bear with one another. To, to put up with one another. You ever, you ever feel that way growing up if you had siblings? Like you just got to put up with your brother and sister? Well, welcome to family. That's the church too, right? Like we're to bear with one another, to love one another through thick and thin. Submit to one another. Don't lie to each other. Build each other up. Don't slander one another. Be kind. Offer hospitality. Be compassionate. Serve one another. Wait for each other. Instruct one another. Should I keep going? You could read all of those yourself. And 
what, what, what I'm telling you is that we're called to do all of those things. Can you believe that? All of them? Man, I, I fail at most of them. How about you? And yet we're called, Jesus calls us to do and fulfill all of those. But thankfully, Jesus gives us a clue how to live out all of those one another's by really focusing on just one of them. Do you know, in, in the New Testament, there was a time, uh, well, there were multiple times, but one in particular where the Pharisees and religious leaders were, were coming to Jesus in an attempt to trap him. And they came to him and they said, uh, so Jesus, you're so smart, right? You're, you're this great teacher, this great rabbi. Tell us, what is the greatest of all the commandments? And really what they're doing is that it was a bunch of lawyers and Pharisees and they're, they're trying to trap him because they're thinking, you know, if in, in the Old Testament, there's 613 commands and they're saying, which one's the greatest? So they're probably thinking in their back pocket, like if he says this one, this one, this one, we're going to if he says one of those, then we're going to pull out these six and they're going to trap him and just try to try to get him. And Jesus does something that's totally profound and kind of just uh, shuts them all up. They say, what's the greatest? And he says, well, the greatest is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And there's a second one like it. The second one is this. You can read about it in Matthew uh, chapter 22. Jesus says, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on and he says, if you do these two things, if you love God and you love others, you'll fulfill all the rest of the commands. All 613, you'll fulfill all of them if you simply love God and love others. And there was silence. Like they couldn't respond to that. Well, listen, all the commands of the New Testament, all the ways that we're to, to bear with one another, encourage one another, care for one another, instruct one another, it can all be summed up by saying we're to love one another. That's what Jesus says. If we do that, we fulfill all the rest. Now that's a big task though, but love covers all the other one another's. I mean, you, you see this not in only Jesus words, but all throughout the new Testament, unsurprisingly, first Peter four, eight above all, Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, it repeatedly forgives. Where love abounds, offenses are overlooked and they're forgiven and they're quickly forgotten. In Proverbs, we read, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. See, the opposite of love is hatred, where when something's been forgiven, you just, you're constantly bringing it up and putting it in someone's face, even though you say you've already forgiven them and they've already repented. But love doesn't do that. Love covers over those offenses and those sins doesn't ignore them, but it doesn't hold it against anyone any longer either. See, basically, Peter's saying, keep loving one another, because if you don't, man, your whole life is going to be miserable. If you can't learn to love one another, there's always going to be strife. There's always, you see it? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And not only this, but, but Paul talks about it as well in Corinthians. He's writing uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. And uh, this passage, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you often hear this passage read at weddings. And it certainly applies to marriage. But really, Paul's writing it to a church, to a group of people who, who are uh, deeply entrenched in sin, who are deeply divided and at odds with one another. 
And look what he says about loving each other. He says, so then, if I, I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. If I get up and preach on a Sunday morning, but I don't do it out of love. then here's what Paul says I'm like, or what you would be like. Like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's a pleasant sound, isn't it? Noisy gong, clanging cymbal. Paul says, if you don't, if you, if you do all these great things but don't have love, that's what you're like. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, then I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And he goes on to describe some of the attributes of love. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues, they'll cease. But as for knowledge, it'll pass away. But uh, he goes on to say that love will endure. That we're left with faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Friends, we're called to love one another. And if we love one another, we fulfill all the other one another's. If we simply learn to love one another. In fact, it's in our mission statement. We're sent to what? To love people. And invite them to follow Jesus with us. And often we might think of that as, okay, we're sent to love. Like, okay, we're going to go out. We're going to love everybody out there. No, 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 no. It's not just out there. It's in here. You're also sent to love each other. We're sent to love one another and invite other people, even in this room, to follow Jesus with us. It's about relationship. Jesus himself even said that we would be known, not necessarily by our love for the world, but by our love for who? For each other. The way we care for one another. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter where Peter spells out how we ought to love each other, how we ought to love one another. And, and I believe this is really the key then to being a good friend to other people. And what we're going to find is that every one of us, and especially the guy on the stage, we fail at this in big ways because it's such a high calling. But here's the deal. You can be a friend who loves at all times. You know, that's what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. You can be a friend who loves at all times. At all times, huh? So not only do I have to do all the one and others, but I have to do it all the time? Yeah. That's kind of that's what God says. Thankfully for Jesus, uh, he, he saves us and redeems us because we always fall short. But think about it. You can be a friend who loves at all times, even uh, when life is good and when life is not good. When you're prospering and when you're suffering. When you feel like it. When you don't. A friend loves at all times. If anything, it's especially in the hard times because the writer of Proverbs says they're born for adversity. And what the passage we're going to read in 1 Peter today, 1 Peter is written to a group of people who are suffering. 
So th- this means that he, even, he, he calls them to love even in the midst of suffering and hardship. Now, the reality is all of us face suffering and hardship, don't we? We live in a fallen world, just like the people Peter wrote to. The very beginning of Peter, he says he writes to those who are the elect exiles. They're living in a place that isn't home. They're living on this earth. They're, they're exiles waiting to go home to heaven. And on this earth, there's a whole lot of trouble. A whole lot of pain and suffering and sin. And there are, these people are experiencing the effects of sin in the world. They're, they're probably facing some ridicule for their faith, even some persecution. They're poor. First Peter then is full of words of comfort, but it's not just a letter of comfort. He also understands that even when we're suffering, God calls us to give ourselves to what he's called us to because that's really the way through. So if you're like, you know what, um, forget this whole love one another, Josh. I'm the one who needs to be loved. You're right, you do. But you know the way, the way through that is for you to be a friend who loves others. Is, is, see, Peter is t- writing to a bunch of people who are suffering, who need to be loved. And even in the midst of that, he's saying, the way through it, you need to love one another. You need to love one another. There's a lot of biblical wisdom in that, that times of suffering is times that we're tempted to be pretty self-obsessed and self-absorbed. Or, or times um, like winter in Indiana when it's just dreary and gross outside. You don't want to go outside, but you don't want to stay inside. And so you feel sorry for yourself and you sing, you know, victim songs to yourself. Uh, my grandma used to sing when we were pouting, you know, nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. You ever heard that one? And uh, it's easy to become self-absorbed. And Peter, in the midst of, of suffering, and there's always suffering on this earth, he, he calls us beyond that to get away and out of our own heads to love other people. See, we have suffering in our church, just like the people Peter wrote to. Some of you are sick. Some of you have relational heartache. Some of you are weeping over children who've gone astray. Some of you are stressed out because you've got young kids that are driving you crazy. Some of you have have some really serious physical ailments. And the temptation is just to sulk down into it, especially, like I said, uh, this time of year. And, And so you just survive, and I survive. But Peter gives us some good instruction. God gives us good instruction through Peter. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter. And uh, I'm going to read in chapter 1, starting in verse 22. It'll be on the screen as well, but just read with me. And remember, Peter is writing to people who are suffering. He goes, uh, Having purified yourself then by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and in all its glory like the flower of grass. The, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this, this word is the good news that was preached to you. The main point of, of this short passage is a call to love. Do you know, in those verses we read, that's the only command, love each other, love one another. And in the midst of suffering, the greatest command God might have for you, 
would be to love other people and be a part of God's transforming work. Like our mission statement says, being, being sent wherever he has you. So that means first at home, your spouse, loving your spouse. Loving your kids, the ones you like today and the ones you don't. <laughs> loving your coworkers. Loving your life group. Loving your church. You and I, when see what this call of being sent to love other people, we get to make visible an invisible Jesus. We get to manifest him to people. Do you realize that, that when you're sent out to love, to love other people, both uh, not just outside these walls, but, but in these walls and in your home, you are the tone of Jesus' voice to other people. You are the expression of care on his face. That smile, that's Jesus' smile. You are the one who gets to reflect his forgiveness. You're the one who gets to reflect his patience. You're the one who gets to reflect uh, Jesus' acceptance to other people, even to people who don't deserve it. That's what it means to be sent to love and to love people like God has loved us. You're the touch of his hand. Friends, you're sent to love. And, and, and Jesus' love, when we love like Jesus, do you know that, that that is the most transformational power in the entire universe? Love is what motivated God's creation. Love is what motivated Jesus to, to put on flesh and live among us. Love is what motivated Jesus to die on the cross and to rise from the grave for you and for me. It's, all motiv- it's an incredibly transformational power. John tells us that God himself is love. It's because of that love that we're redeemed. And it's our mission. It's your mission. It's your identity. Are you living it out? Outside the walls, but especially inside this church and inside your family. See, Peter here, he gives us four ways that we ought to love one another. He gives us four descriptions in this short passage, really in just the first verse of what this love looks like. You want to read that first verse with me again? Verse 22. It says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The first thing we see about this love, see, because you can be a friend who loves at all times, and the first thing about this type of love is that this type of love is a sincere love. It's a sincere love. That God calls us to. This is way above just niceness. Do you know what I'm talking about? Midwest nice. We all kind of live in that world. Niceness um, it can be so full. And niceness is nice sometimes. Let's be honest. It's easy. But it, some, it often can be full of all kinds of ulterior motives. You know, I'm nice to you because uh, I want you to be nice to me. I'm nice to you because... Um, I don't want to go any deeper than that. I'm nice to you because I want something from you. Niceness can just be kind of the easy way through. And flattery is the same way. It's saying something nice so that you can get something in return. But sincere love, sincere love, like Jesus loves, it's not an act. It's not just surface level. It's genuine. It's deep. Romans, uh, Paul writes to the Roman, Roman church in chapter 12, verse 9, let your love be genuine. Let it be sincere. 
And your love becomes sincere when you first realize how loved you are. We're going to talk more about that a little later this morning. But, but as you spend time loving Jesus and being loved by Jesus in his word, in prayer, with other Christians, then your cup gets filled up. And so then when you bump into people, what happens is your cup is full. You just splash out the love you've already experienced onto other people. If you haven't spent time with him and your cup isn't full of his own love for you, then what happens when you get bumped? You're still splashing stuff out. But it ain't love. Right? See, it's motivated. This kind of sincere love is motivated and fueled by spending time in God's word and spending time with his people. That's our, that's our motive for life groups thing. We all need friends. We want to we connect you, Velcro you, so to speak, to other Christians and to God's word. So that when life bumps you, you splash out his love. I think of it this way. Have you ever grilled in the winter? How many winter grillers do we have? Yeah? I, last, last winter was probably the first time I'd ever grilled in the winter because we were able to put a deck on the back. And so I had a place to do it without accidentally burning the garage down, you know, grilling in the garage. So I didn't trust myself there. So out on the deck, but one of the things you learn, some of you who are, who are experts at this, you know, that after you, you grill in the winter, you, you flip your burgers, right? And you get them off and you put them on the plate. You get that first one off and it smells, smells really good in the winter for some reason, but you put it on your plate, maybe because it smells like summer and you're cold, Put it on your plate, and then you get the second one, and where do you put it? Where, where do you want to put it? Well, here's what you're going to find out if you never grilled in the winter. If you don't put it, like, right on top or right next to that first one you put on there, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get inside, and it's going to taste like you went over to McDonald's, bought some burgers, drove around Kosciuszko County, then went home to eat it. It's going to be a little cold. Why? Because it wasn't in contact with anything else to keep it warm. See, do you want a sincere love? You need to be in contact with God's word and you need to be in contact with other believers to keep you warm. And see, that leads really to this second description of love. It's not just a sincere love, but it's a brotherly love. See, Paul, or Peter, excuse me, he writes, he says, purify yourself for a sincere brotherly love. What's brotherly love? Well, it's, it's, it's familial love. It's family. It, it, healthy family, right? Healthy family. It, it's, it's Philadelphia love. That's the word there. You've heard of that, right? Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love. It's a Greek word, Philadelphia, brotherly love. To, it's, it's a love that... Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't stand over somebody and like look down on them and pity them with a, maybe it's a genuine care, but it's just a, I love you, but really I'm, I'm better than you. And so I can only love you so much. No, brotherly love says there's something that's the same about us. We're in the same family. We're both pretty messed up. It's not standing over, it's, it's standing alongside. And so when I love with a brotherly love, I come alongside people. I'm down right next to them at their level. It's not, it's not me looking down or, or thinking wrongly. It's me going, you know what? I'm just as messed up, so let me do what I can in my own brokenness to point you 
to Jesus, to show you his love so that you can grow, so that you can be restored. That's brotherly love. That's the type of love, uh, like the the writer of Proverbs says, that uh, sticks close, that, that loves at all times, that's born for adversity, that doesn't abandon, that doesn't just quit when it gets hard. Brotherly love, it levels the playing field. And you need to know that as a pastor, I need this kind of love from you too, right? It's, I, it's right here. <laughs> it's not up there. Like we all need this. We all do. And so even as I'm preaching these things, I'm preaching it from a place where I don't have it all figured out in my own life. And those of you who know me best know that I struggle in these ways too. So we need one another. That's why I say that, right? We, we all need this. We need one another in order to have this type of brotherly love, this type of familial family love that's sincere. And that's what, that's what Peter's talking about. May, may God help all of us to live that out. See, he, he says it's a sincere love, a brotherly love, but he also talks about loving one another earnestly. So it, it's with an earnest love. That's that third word there that describes it from Peter. It's, it's, it's earnest. It means it's zealous. It's motivated. It's self-starting. That's the type of love Peter's talking about. It means I'm, I'm looking for places to love. I have my eyes open, my ears open. I'm, I'm sent to love. That's the type of love Peter's talking about. It's, it's earnest Committed, active, looking for opportunities to be Jesus to other people. Now remember, he's writing this to people who are what? Suffering. Who probably uh, are struggling to get through life on their own. And then Peter's laying this on them. They're like, huh? Well, Peter knows that as they take their eyes off of themselves and turn them onto other people, that's when God begins to work to bring us through those things. You, you need friends, you need other people, and you need a love that's sincere, brotherly, you're called to it, that's earnest. And then finally, he says, from a pure heart. It's a pure love that God calls us to, with pure motives, in other words. A sincere love, a brotherly love, earnest from a pure heart, without mixed motives. Now, the reality is that's about impossible for us. <laughs> Isn't it? To to really truly have a pure love. Well, again, that's where this importance is of being close to Jesus so that he purifies you and refines you. It's a pure love that's been refined. There was a lady who was studying the Bible with a bunch of her friends. And they came across a passage that talked about God's refining fire in people's lives, right? And how he refines us and makes us pure and makes us new. And so they started thinking about that and being refined like pure silver. What is that? And so uh, they were going to go research it and then come back together. And one woman called a silversmith that she knew. And she said, hey, I'm really curious about this process of refining silver. What does that look like? Could I just come and watch? She didn't tell him uh, why she wanted to know. She just said, can I come watch? And so she went and she saw how... uh, the silversmith took the silver and he had a really hot fire and he had it in his crucible and he held it over the fire. 
And he didn't just hold it over the fire, but out over the hardest and hottest part of the fire. And he kept it there. And you could see the silversmith sweating. And she was like, isn't, aren't you too close? And do you, have, do you have to be that close? And he's like, yeah, I do. And uh, I have to watch it the whole time. Because as soon as I take my eyes off of it, then uh, it's sure to be consumed. And she goes, well, then how do you know? And so in her mind, right, she's drawing all these, all these parallels between that's just like God watching us through the fire, through the struggle and suffering of our life. And how, how do you know, though, when it's pure? How do you know when to pull it out? And, and not a moment too late or too soon. And he goes, oh, that's easy. That's the easy part. He says, I know it's done. I know it's pure when I can see my reflection in it. See, a, a pure love, friends, it comes with, as God sees his reflection in you, as you reflect him. And sometimes he takes you through really incredibly hard things so that he can refine you to make you more like him so that you actually reflect him more. So in that process, you, you may have a greater capacity even to love than you ever imagined. And to have a pure love. A love that's sincere, that's brotherly, that's earnest, that seeks, it, seeks out people, and that's, that's pure. Not because you want something from someone, because, but because of how God, how Jesus, has loved you. Now this passage, the, the one command is right there to love one another. And before and after it is things that simply describe and support that command. Notice this, look at uh, verse 22, right at the beginning, right before, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Here's what he's saying. When you begin to give yourself to something uh, bigger than yourself, when you give yourself in obedience to the plan and purpose of God, you, you clear the deck, so to speak, in order to be able to love like this having purified yourself by obedience to the truth for a brotherly love, a sincere brotherly love. It's, it's like building a house, right, on a wooded lot. If you build a house on a wooded lot, what's the first thing you got to do? You got to clear the trees. It's going to be hard to build a house without clearing the deck. It's going to be really hard for you to love other people without clearing the deck and coming to Jesus and letting him make you new and make you clean. It begins with recognition of your own sin and conviction and confession and repentance, just simply the response to that forgiveness and living it out. If you want to love like this, friends, you, you got to be close to Jesus. You got to be close to his people so that his image begins to be reflected more and more in your life. See, because you can be a friend that loves at all times because you are loved for all time. The reason you can be a friend who loves at all times is because you are loved for all time. You heard that phrase before? You are loved. It's truth, and it's all over Scripture. See, Peter tells him, like, like, because you've obeyed the truth, because you've trusted Jesus, he's making you new. He's making you clean. Now you can love one another. And then the rest of the passage supports it, too, because he goes on and he says, since you've been born again, the, the newness Jesus gives you, it's, it's as if you were born afresh, born new. 
not of perishable seed, but imperishable. In other words, like this thing that's happened in you as you trust Jesus, it's eternal. So you're not drawing on yourself anymore. You're drawing on the the eternal power of God to love other people. Through the living and abiding word, that's how it happens, is through being in his word. And being with other people, all flesh is like grass. It's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news is that you are loved. And that's what allows you to love. First John 4 Beloved, if God so loved us, what should we do? Love one another. See, the only reason you're sent to love is because you are loved. If God so loved you, you're to love one another. By this, people will know, Jesus says, that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 34 through 35, a new command I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're to love one another. I'm sorry, that's what I just read. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus reminds them, I loved you, now love one another. Listen, the way you're going to be a person who can love with a sincere, brotherly, earnest, pure love, the way I can do that is by knowing first that I am loved. That big, giant, blazing sign on the front of the building, right? A lot of times we think, oh, that's just a great message to everybody who drives by every week. Isn't that great? You know who else it's a reminder to? Everyone in this room. You are loved. You're loved by Jesus, and that's what enables you to be sent to love. And you need to remember that. You know, one of the most common commands in the Old Testament that God gives to his people is remember. Remember, remember. And the biggest thing to remember is this good news that you are loved. And that's, that's the power within you, Jesus and his spirit within you, allowing you to love other people. You need to remind yourself of this. The only way you can love others is remembering that you are loved. When I lay Charlie down for bed every night, there's two things I say to him that I have for the last couple of years. I think maybe I've told you this, I don't remember. But I say two things to him every night before I lay him down to bed to the point where he repeats them back to me now. So he's starting to internalize those things, at least on a word level. But I always tell him, I say, hey, I love you and I'm proud of you. Every time I tell him good night, every time I leave for work, those are like the two phrases you can ask Hannah. I say it every single time. Thankfully, I had a dad who I have no doubt loved me and is proud of me. And enables me to know that I have a heavenly dad who loves me even more. And I tell that to Charlie because I, I just want that to always ring in his head that he is loved. He's loved by me, but more importantly, he's loved by an eternal, perfect God. He needs to be reminded of that. You and I need to be reminded of that. Before we ever go out to try to do ministry, uh, to be, we talked about it yesterday, Dave did in our, in our training, uh, that, that, that our character, we need to have our cup filled before we can ever pour into other people. You need to know that you are loved. That's what will enable you to love. 
See, John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, I could say it a hundred more times. I feel like I've already said it a hundred times. But we're called to love one another, amen? And let me just leave you with this closing thought. Uh, Two. One, if you haven't trusted Jesus, you, you need to. You need You need him. He loves you more than you could ever imagine, more than you could ever hope that he does. And he's simply waiting for you to turn to him in faith, to be made new, to put your faith in him, to become a Christian, and then he enables you to love other people. If you have trusted Jesus, and even if you haven't, if you're part of our church and you're like, how do I grow in this? Well, all these one another's can be summed up in the phrase, you know, to love one another. But, but if you think about it, fulfilling all those one another's, you might, you might experience a little bit of it on a Sunday morning, you know, brushing shoulders with people out in the commons, walking around, maybe after the service before. But how are all of those really lived out? I mean, look at that whole list. Think about that this week. How are, how are all of these, all of these one another's lived out? It's not in a giant group on a Sunday morning. Almost all of these, they can only be lived out in small, a few on a few relationships. So the the question for you then, are you in a life group? Are you in relationship with other people where you can rub shoulders with them and experience that and live out those one another's? Not only living them out being uh, one who loves other people, but being loved yourself and then growing into all that God has you be. If, you know what my hope for you is? That if you're not, that maybe today would be the day that you just kind of step out in faith. And if you don't want to go like sign your name up on a big sheet, that's okay. Write it on a connect card, uh, stick it uh, uh, on the connect desk, come hand it to me, let me know, let Dave know. We would love to see you get connected. But here's the thing. I don't think you can really ever love one another the way that the Bible tells us to or be loved the way the Bible hopes that you would be, that God wants you to be unless you're in community and not just in a big group, but in a small group. That's where those things are lived out. Get connected. Amen? Hey, let me pray. Worship team is going to come lead us as we close, and we're going to call it a morning. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, through him, you, you love us. Lord, I've said it so many times this morning, and it can feel so trite, but there is seriously no greater power and no greater truth for us to know but that you love us. So, uh, Lord, I pray for each of us here. You'd remind us of that truth and that knowing that we are loved, then you would send us to love and that we would be able to love with the love with which you've loved us. Father, we pray all this through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.